Whether packing for a destination vacation or planning a backyard staycation, Macy's has what you need. I'm going to throw out some brands for you here. Nina Parker, Vince Camuto, Dolce Vita, Levi's, Lacoste. I could go on. Shop summer's must-haves, summer dresses, match sets. I love a match set. Love a match set. Yeah, I know. Volume sleeve tops. What? Give it some volume. Espadrilles, wedges, straw, crafted bags, and so much more. Shop at Macy's.com slash own your style. If you love tequila cocktails, then check out the award-winning 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. It's a -a one-of-a-kind tequila that is infused with the juice of real fruit. So it's smooth, it's not sweet, it smells fresh and bright, and it tastes incredible. 21 Seeds makes the most delicious and easy margaritas and cocktails so you can focus on the fun, like game night with your besties. With 21 Seeds, you only need two or three ingredients to make your perfect cocktail. Try 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. Learn more at 21seeds.com. Enjoy responsibly 21 Seeds, Diageo, New York, New York. I'm Jenna Fisher. And I'm Angela Kinsey. We were on The Office together. And we're best friends. And now we're doing the ultimate Office rewatch podcast just for you. Each week, we will break down an episode of The Office and give exclusive behind-the-scenes stories that only two people who were there can tell you. We're The Office Ladies. Today, we are talking about the Valentine's Day episode. I am so excited for this one. Me too. I liked this one so much, I watched it an extra time in my prep just for pleasure. I did too. My husband, Josh, was like, babe, how many times are you going to watch that episode? (laughs) I was like, I am really enjoying it. I think this one sneaked up on me because there are certain episodes that I remember as being favorites. Yeah. And this one was not on my radar. And then I watched it and so many memories came back too. So many. Okay, this is a goodie. This is season two, episode 16, written by Mike Schur and directed by Greg Daniels. I mean, honestly, that's all you need to know. That's right like there. The that super team. team. Yeah, yeah, of course, this is a great one. All right, I'll give a summary. It's Valentine's Day mm-hmm. at Dunder Mifflin. Michael has to go to the corporate offices in New York. He has to meet and do a presentation for the new CFO, Chief Financial Officer. It's a big deal. It is. And he's going to be there with Jan Mm. on Valentine's Day. Oh, no. (laughs) Back at the office, Phyllis is overwhelmed by gifts from her boyfriend, Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. They just come all day, these gifts. All day. Pam patiently waits for a gift from Roy. That never comes. No, no. Mm -mm. And she really dolled herself up. Oh, yes. That's my fast fact number one, Angela. Do it. Do it. Fan question from Baltimore Ashley. What was the thought process behind Pam's hair for this episode? Was there another special meeting? I bet there was. Oh, my gosh. You guys. I also got similar questions from Casey McMillan and many other people asking if there was a special meeting for Pam's hair. There was more than a meeting. It was like the Joint Chiefs of Staff <laughs> It was came together for your hair. So the thought process here was that Pam and Jim in this episode, they're going to be a bit estranged. So wouldn't it be an extra nail in the coffin for Jim if Pam just looked super duper cute? Right. <laughs> so we thought, can we please do something different with her hair? I had a MySpace blog at the time, and yes. I wrote about my hair. <laughs> 
And I said that Kim Ferry and I worked for weeks on different versions of this look. Well, knowing Kim Ferry like I do, like you do, she must have been so excited because she was so good at hair, but she never got to do much with our hair. No. Okay, so here's what we tried. We tried a ponytail, a barrette, and headbands. We took a picture of each choice, and we presented them to Greg Daniels, and he went through the photos and had to pick a hairstyle, and he picked the headband. And there were various headbands. Now, I was when I say, say when I, I was say headbands, say, were there twelve different headbands? Yes, yes. So it was, and also ponytails, uh, high pony, low pony, side pony. No side pony. Well, side pony shows up later at the art fair. Um, I wore a side ponytail to my prom. <laughs> My, I think it was my my senior year. I did a side pony. I was not cool, guys. You did a side pony to prom? Yeah, I did a side. Did you get that done at a salon, or did you do that at home? No, my mom did it. My mom did it, and that was the year. The year before, we had all had dates, and none of us had a good time. My group of like really close girlfriends. Yeah. So that was the year. The guys thought they were being really cool, and they were like, "We're not going to take dates this year." I went to a small school, and so the girls were like. Fine. And we had the best time. Was it your senior prom? Our senior prom, I danced in a circle with all my girlfriends with a side ponytail. <laughs> Lady, I did an all-girls prom for my senior prom, too. You did? We would have been in the same dance circle. <laughs> we would have. You would have loved my side pony. Um, I have a card about that fast fact. Tell it. I mean, not only is it Pam's hair, Pam is wearing a pink sweater. Mm-hmm. Her headband's pink. She has a heart necklace on. She has pink earrings on. I mean, little the, pink dangle earrings. I know. The lady and came, ca- mm-hmm. like, she came to be noticed. She did. She's, I think, a little lip gloss. Yes. It was a whole look. It I have to say, look. when I first saw myself on screen, I was a little bit like, oh, oh, Pam, Pam, Pam went for it. Pam showed up today. And I mean, I mean, it's going to play out later in the episode, but like, Roy, come on. This is w- someone who clearly wants a Valentine. So No matter clearly. what she says. Okay, sorry. Fast fact number two. Fast fact number two. A portion of this episode was shot in New York City. We that got a lot true. of fan questions about this. People wanted to know if we... Did Steve stand in front of a green screen? Did we shoot on the streets of Los Angeles? No. But there's more questions, Angela. Fan okay. question from Cora Louise. How many crew members came to New York City, and Guava Aora asked, how long did it take to shoot this episode in New York, and was the rest of the cast in California? Yes. We did not get to go. We did not. We were all pretty bummed because it sounded like so much fun. So I reached out to Randall Einhorn, our director of photography. Mm -hmm. Jenna, you know I did this. I know, and you guys, she wouldn't tell me what he said. She's got all this good information (laughs) about the New York shoot, and she made me wait. Well, this is something we do. We both love to, like, dig up nuggets of info, and then we don't tell each other because we want the surprise. I know. Well, I've So I've been waiting, like, five days for this. Okay, here we go. So I reached out to Randall, and he said the crew in New York was just him and Greg and Steve that would go out on the street when they would film. Yeah. And in the van, they had, uh, like, I think two crew members that were New York-based, like, because they had to do things by the rules, you know, and our line producer, Kent Zabornak. But whenever the van doors would open, it would just be Greg, Steve, and Randall. He said that this was right at the height of 40-Year-Old Virgin. It was the biggest movie in America. He said there was a billboard in Times Square (laughs) where they were filming. So he said the minute Steve would get out of the van, a crowd would form. So he said they had to move really fast and quickly. And he said 
He used a Handycam camera, like a basic Handycam camera that you could buy at Costco. Whoa. It's a really small camera, so not to draw a lot of attention to them. Yeah. Because the minute people saw Steve, literally, he said, a crowd would form. Well, wasn't this also right after his Golden Globe win? Oh, yes. Yes. It was all of that. He just won the Golden Globe. There was a billboard of him in Times Square, and they're going to film on the streets of New York. Bonkers. (laughs) Bonkers. Now, this was scripted, though. They had certain scripted spots, but I know that Steve was also improvising and riffing at the same time. It was very loosey-goosey. That's true. That's true. So I asked Randall, okay, what were some of the things that you know were scripted? He said the Rockefeller Center portion was scripted. He said that Sabaro was scripted, but he said that he's pretty sure when Steve goes into the subway and sees a man pooping in the box, that that was improv. That was Steve just goofing around. But Steve did a lot of improv. Like whenever they saw something or they had a moment, he would hop out. You know, there's a tag at the end of, like, the fiddler on the roof, like him goofing around. That's improv. There's a bunch of deleted scenes of him on the streets of New York that I think are a lot of improvisations. They're fantastic. The deleted scenes for this are great, and I'll bring up some more of them later. And then I said, Randall, is there, like, a fun story or a memory you have from filming in New York that maybe doesn't even have anything to do with the episode? And he said, yes. This is what he said. He said the night they got into New York, just him and Steve went to this place called Johnny's. And they got beer and pizza. He said he thought the pizza was pepperoni. Uh But he just said it was really special. And they were walking back to their hotel, walking through Times Square. And he said there were billboards everywhere. A 40-year-old virgin with Steve's face, like, all over the place. And the show was getting popular. Steve had just won a Golden Globe. So it was kind of surreal to walk through all of those, you know, billboards of Steve. And people started coming up to Steve. And Randall said that Steve was as gracious and kind to the first person who stopped him as he was to the 100th. He just was so kind and in the moment. But that is Steve, you know? He is so kind and gracious. And Randall just said it was really special. I think for him and Steve to just have that night together like that, just grabbing a slice and a beer and being in New York, I'm sure it felt really cool. Aw, I love that. I know, me too. That's one of the cool things about the show where there's some circumstance that brings you to an experience you would not have normally had. Yeah, yeah. So cool. So cool. And Greg and Kent Sabornak talk a little bit more about New York in the DVD commentary. So if you want to give that a listen. All right, Jenna, that's my New York City nuggets. They were great and they were worth waiting for. Thank you. I loved them. Thank you. Fast fact number three. In this episode, we meet the new CFO of Dunder Mifflin, David Wallace. Hey now. Hey, hey, who's hey. here? Who's hey here? Andy Buckley. There we go. in studio with us now. I'm going to put on the Wallace glasses. Put on the Wallace That's glasses. Bam. Andy, you Boom. appeared in 37 episodes of the show. Yep. 37. That was, that's crazy, yeah. Here's some stuff I learned about you by looking you up on the internet. Uh-oh. Well, get Uh-oh. ready. <laughs> we should say the three of us are friends in real life. Yes. So it was a little bit interesting to Google a friend. But yeah. here's some things um, I learned about you. None of it is true. <laughs> oh, boy. But it's probably That's all good true. to know. It's probably all true. You were born in Boston. Yep. Salem, Massachusetts. Grew up in Marblehead, Swampscott, Peabody. Uh, <laughs> mostly Marblehead. And I, I have the Smart Pack. You Smart do? Pack. John Krasinski, <laughs> Smart Pack. You graduated from Stanford University. Yeah. But you got a degree in 
political science. Yes, that was not theater, not acting. No, I. Uh, so I did. I did. Uh, I was a golfer in high school, and I went there to play golf. Like I was on the like golf on a team. golf scholarship. Yeah, they didn't have a ton of money, but I was I got in through the golf Hold program up. and they that gave you a thousand bucks. You're a good golfer. I I I used to be. I'm still good, but I used to be. But yes, so and uh, I was a poli sci major. I did I did plays there and I had done plays in high school uh, also and loved acting and saw a James Dean movie when I was in high school and thought I was going to be like a brooding young you know, brooding golf playing. And, yes, yeah. James all of the Dean. Above. <laughs> Political <laughs> and, science. And none of it James none of it worked. <laughs> But when you were cast on the show, you were working as a wealth management advisor, which I believe is a fancy word for stockbroker. That's exactly it. Yeah. At Merrill Lynch. Yes. I study acting. I moved to uh, Los Angeles. It does not go well for the first like seven or eight or nine years. I get little bits and pieces here. Allison Jones being possibly my only fan, luckily. (laughs) Um, and my wife, who was then my girlfriend, um, said, "You gotta, you gotta change it up. This is crazy. Like, you can't just keep doing these odd jobs and then think you're gonna get hired." She was blah, like, blah, blah. "Get a job. Get a job. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> exactly. basically, get a job." And uh, and and there was an old uh, acting buddy of mine who was working there, and and he would still audition. He said, "Oh, come, come interview. You it might be great for you." And they hire me, and I, you know, I loved it. It was crazy. I loved it. So I, I started there in 2001 and was there, and that's all I was doing. And then we got married and we had our first son. Uh, I bumped into Allison Jones. We're at like the local farmer's market on Larchmont. And you're, you're and working I'm, at Merrill I'm just a guy yeah, yeah. getting up and being in the office at six and talking to clients or, you know, potential clients. or And um, and I see her and, what are you doing, Buckley? I haven't seen you in a while. I'm like, well, I'm a stockbroker. I'm married. I <laughs> Got a kid, I like Mr. Grown Up, and like you know, and um, she says, "Well, give me your card just in case something comes up. You you never know. I mean, would you want to do it?" I thought, "Yeah, sure. Um, I guess if it's in town." And uh, without her mentioning anything or thinking, you know, four months almost later, she calls me. It's like Buckley, I can't believe I found this card, but I'm glad I did. I think you might be the right guy. You should come audition for this. You know the boss on the office, do you know the show? And it's like, yeah, of course I know the show. Like, yeah, he's the financial guy and you're a financial guy. They might like that. You should audition. And it was great. I go, I, so I go in say, hi, do the first scene. Um, But I read with Allison, it was Mike Shore in the room and it was just the two of them. So I read with Allison, I do the first scene and then the second scene. And then Michael says, now you're, you're like, you're, you're a finance, what do you, you're like some kind of financial guy, right? Now knowing Mike, the way we know Mike, he loved that. Yeah. I know that he loved that, that you were actually working right. at Merrill Lynch was probably one of the coolest things to him. I figure that's why I got hired. And then I go back to my office and I'm like, all right. And you just go about your day. And then the next morning, Allison calls and says, hey, they're going to hire you. And it was so exci- I was so excited. It was like, oh, man, this will be awesome. And at the time, I thought, well, maybe like, I guess it'll be cool. I'll get to be on the show like once a year or something like that or twice. I mean, that'll be fun. Yeah, I was going to ask you, when you auditioned, did they say this was one episode with the possibility of more, or did they give you any indication that this might lead to 37 episodes? No, they, they didn't say anything. And, and, um, and I mean, that was, it was, that was it. It was, so whatever day the audition was, and then, and then 
the next week, I guess I, I did it. Now, where did you film the boardroom scenes? My it, memory is that it was right next to was, yeah, our Dunder Mifflin set that you could walk from our set right, to your set. Right. That's that's what it was. Yeah. So you were just right there. I was right there and I show up and, and Steve couldn't have been nicer. Everybody, you know, every, everybody couldn't have been nicer and and. um and uh, and it was just it was fun because Greg would come up and he would say great that was good okay and they said let's try it this way and he would have an idea which I can't I was trying to think like what were his specific ideas and it was along the lines of like do this one as if you just want to keep things calm do this one as if you're you're a little irritated do and he j- just sort of subtle subtle, subtle changes um, this is in the great Scott you know when he yeah. shows the video. Oh, my um, goodness. You guys, your facial reactions to the video that Michael makes is so amazing. It was so <laughs> wonderful. So when do you get the call that they want you back for another episode? A year later. A year later? A year oh, later. my gosh, Andy. Oh, it's great. Allison calls and says, Buckley, you're in an episode in a couple of weeks, and you're all over. Like, you're having a party at your house. Everybody's there. It's crazy. And and she's like, and JJ Abrams is directing. Like it's it's crazy. <laughs> You're like, hold, like wait, oh, I have some meetings I have to rearrange. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm gonna change around. <laughs> but it was after we hired Ryan at the very end of season three that I kind of thought, oh, maybe I'll get to be on this like two or three times. It's like we're coming to corporate. He's coming to corporate. Maybe I'll get to be on it. You could see a possible storyline. I, I thought, yeah, like, oh wow. Do you get recognized a lot? Um, do people scream suck it at you? Yes. And then do um, yeah. other people wonder why people are screaming, screaming suck, suck it, it at yeah. you? It's yeah. funny. <laughs> and that definitely happens sometimes. And it's and it, all of this has started to happen so much more in the last three or four years because of Netflix and the show is so much bigger and, yeah. and everything. Andy, do you still work at Merrill Lynch? No. So I left. <laughs> the last season of the show was when I finally left. Well, you've gone on to do a bunch of stuff now. You're now a full-time actor. What are you working on right I'm now? What can we tell people where to find super, you now? Super super lucky. So let's see. So that I'm um, get to be on a cast once again by Allison Jones this HBO show called Avenue 5, which is super funny and uh it's the fellow that wrote created Veep. It's his new show. We're on this crazy, you know, we're on a cruise ship, luxury cruise ship in outer space. Like it's it's just a cruise ship, but it's 30 years from now. So we're in space. As if Elon Musk or Richard Branson. Right, right. Had finally figured it out. And uh, Hugh Laurie's the captain of the ship. And Josh. And and, uh, Zach Woods is on it. It's great. Because, oh my goodness, is he so funny. Because I never acted with him. Like, basically, he came in as I was. He is so funny. He's so so, funny. And he's so smart. He's He's so so smart. smart. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for coming. You guys can find Andy on Instagram as well and Twitter. You've got quite a nice Twitter. Well, tell us your handle. I'm at just Andy Buckley. And then on Instagram, I am Andy Buckley 2020 in case I decide to run for an office. Great. But just for this year. Just for this year. Well, I am following you, Andy Buckley 2020 on the Insta. I appreciate it. We're Insta I appreciate it. I know. And you'll have to come back. You'll have to come back. Yeah, you are. Do you have thirty six more episodes? Yeah, that's. I and we've only really covered your origin story. So there's more to more to talk about. All right, Andy. Thank you. Thank you very much. much. Thank you for having me, ladies. So this winter. We went on a little ski trip with another family, and we got an Airbnb, which was so wonderful, right? Because you can make your own breakfast in the morning. We could even go there for lunch to warm up. 
Listen, I always want a kitchen with kids. Yep. I don't want to call room service for some sliced apples. I want to have my groceries. I need a kitchen. Yes. Well, this is why doing the Airbnb thing was so perfect. Yep. Well, this family we were staying with told us that they listed their house on Airbnb back in California. Oh, that's so smart. I know a lot of people that do this. It's like, oh, we want to go to Disneyland. We can Airbnb our place and then use that money to go. It pays for your trip. Yep. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm loving Hungry Root. Oh my gosh, yes, Jenna, we're loving Hungry Root too. They've got fresh produce, high quality meat and seafood, snacks, smoothies, sweets, ready to eat meals, kids snacks and meals, and vitamins and supplements. Well, I took the quiz over on Hungry Root, and oh my gosh, they nailed it. One of the things that I really wanted was I wanted a salmon dish that was quick and easy. I said I wanted to cook food in less than 12 minutes. I was very ambitious. This was one of the choices, and they sent me a miso salmon that, oh my goodness, it blew my mind. And it was easy. It was maybe five ingredients. So tasty, so fresh. I loved it. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Office Ladies listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash Office Ladies to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash Office Ladies. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. When you travel, do you ever think like, oh, no, I hope I locked up. Did I leave a window open? Things like that. Well, that's why you should invest in Simply Safe home security today. Simply Safe was named Best Home Security System in 2024 by the U.S. News and World Report. And Newsweek ranked it Best Customer Service in Home Security. Well, you all have heard me talk about Simply Safe because it really is simple and it does make me feel safe. We went through the website and we picked exactly what we needed for our home. That's what I really like is you can customize what you need to fit your living space. You know, I love our Simply Safe. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash office ladies. That's simplysafe.com slash office ladies. There's no safe like Simply Safe. And we're back. Hello. Let's start breaking down the Valentine's Day episode. Ange. Let's get into it, lady. All right. So we start with a Pam talking head. She explains it's Valentine's Day. This is not your typical cold open where it's a standalone kind of prank or joke. This applies to the story of the episode. We noted earlier her hair is down. She's got her sparkly headband on. She actually says, I like Valentine's Day in this office. Yeah, because we all hand things out to each other. Yeah. She talks about how last year Jim gave her a card, a hilarious card with Dwight's face on it. It was so funny. But <laughs> then she says that her and Roy are saving money this year for the wedding. So she told him not to get anything too big. Too big, but she's still clearly expecting something. She still wants something. Well, I have a few little background things for this talking head. Okay. That I found very interesting. Yes. So behind 
our talking heads was normally you could see um, Leslie David Baker, who plays Stanley, or Phyllis, right? At their desks. You would never see Jim behind you during a talking head because his desk is over closer to Pam's at reception. Is Jim in the background of this? Jim is in the background of your talking head. He's like sitting over there talking to Creed. You can see him in in the distance. And, you know, I was listening to the DVD commentary, and one of the things that Greg and Mike talked about was in this episode, Jim and Pam barely speak. Yeah. But they're always in the foreground or background of each other's shots. That was sort of a conscious thing. When they could have one of you in the background, they would. That is so interesting because I noticed that in the background of Jim's talking head later, Pam is delivering Phyllis a little piece of candy. Yes. So see, this was thought out. Now, there's one other thing I want to point out because in the deleted scenes, Oscar at the top of the episode is handing out Valentine's. And this is footage behind your talking head. You say, I like Valentine's at this office. We hand out cards and things. And you see Oscar passing out these little red hearts. Well, it's a great deleted scene. He hands one to Creed. Creed is getting off the phone where he calls a guy Ace. And then he says to Oscar, thanks, Ace. And then he has a talking head where he's like, yeah, I'm not good with names. I don't know. <laughs> like, he doesn't know people's <laughs> names. So that, that was actually a scene that then they repurposed and used for the backdrop of your talking head. Oh my gosh, that is a great catch. Yeah. And, and then I think just before we get into this episode, I, I would love to give a little props to the party planning committee because you know they were in charge of decorating the office. Yeah. Did you see all the Valentine's stuff? I did. Fan catch from Izzy Garrigan. Mm-hmm. She said around 22 seconds, Pam has a football plush on her desk. Mm-hmm. But I noticed that she has Valentine's Day themed candy. Mm-hmm. She has a cup of pens in a Valentine's Day cup on the top of her desk. And the cups are even sort of like red pens. Yes. And mm-hmm. then she even had. there's all these like decorations on the front of reception. She's got like a Valentine's Day poster and there's a heart-shaped candy dish. There's red jelly beans. There's like a little squishy heart dude on yeah. top of the jelly beans. Over by accounting, there's heart garland. There's a heart poster. There's some heart garland over on the supply cabinet. So the ladies really We did went, a good job. They went all out. By all out, they um, put up two posters. <laughs> it's still within their budget. But it was fairly decorated, I yes. will say. I yes. noticed as well. All right. So next up, Phyllis gets a giant bouquet of roses. Did you catch the card? It made me laugh out loud. No. What was it? The flowers are from Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I did catch that. Yes. <laughs> Just that Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration yeah. was part of the card. Was part of the card. Yes. That that does make me laugh. I don't know about you, but my husband, when he gives me a gift, like his card skills, babe, I love you. I, okay. First of all, I appreciate the thought. But for Valentine's, his card said, to my wife from your husband. <laughs> And it was like flowers, and and it was really sweet, but that's all the card said. So we find out now that Michael is heading to New York to do a presentation about the Scranton branch for the new CFO. And we know this is important because there have been rumors of downsizing, and so Michael has to really prove the worth of this branch so that no one gets fired. In this scene, he packs his passport— For a a two-and-a-half-hour drive, guys. For a drive. It's a a two-and-a-half-hour drive. Not even flying. Not going across a border. Nope. Passport. Got it. (laughs) Dwight asks if he's excited to see Jan because it is Valentine's Day. 
And then Michael has a talking head where he says, I would have to be a raving lunatic to try to talk to Jan about what happened between us. Her words, not mine. She sent me an email this morning. Um, I loved that. I love that so much. Also, did you notice right after his passport, Dwight hands him what looks like, it looks like a Blackberry. Do we have some old tech, some old tech catch there? Ooh, old tech catch. Old tech catch. I can't even say that. Old tech catch. Old tech catch. Okay. As Michael is leaving, he asks Pam if he can pick her up anything in New York. I love Oscar's response. Because Oscar is like the dad. He's he kind of the dad. He's like, you know, the best gift would be just do a good job on the presentation so we can all keep our jobs. Yeah. And thanks Mike, a lot. Thanks a lot. And Michael's like, me in New York? Oh, I own that city. Forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> but you have to go back and look at Oscar's face. Oh, my God. It's so good. If that's not a meme, it should be. That that should be. So then we have our opening credits. And when those are over, Michael is driving to New York. Mm-hmm. No need for a passport. Two and a half hour drive. Don't need it. Within the continental United States. Still don't need it. (laughs) (laughs) And then Jim has a talking head where he tells us that he is not dating anyone. And he's just going to have like a party with his buddies. Well, what the heck happened to Brenda? I don't know. He's not dating anyone. He left Brenda that ridiculously awkward voicemail. I guess that didn't work out. I guess it didn't. Now, during his talking head, you can kind of get a glimpse at Pam's wedding invite list. Yeah, there's a shot of Pam at her desk, and I had a fan question about it. Okay, you know I did a screen grab and tried my best to read every name. Oh, I want to hear what they are. Louisa J. said, are the names on the wedding invite list characters or made up or based on real-life people? Now, I was looking at some of these names, and part of it looked like, like maybe— Phil Shea had started the list, but it looked like you had added to it during the the scene. Yes. The typed list was Mm -hmm. provided to me by Phil Shea. Yes. The handwritten list are the names of my real aunts and uncles and cousins. I was going to say, I saw Emily, which is your sister. Yep. So I was like, as I screen grabbed it, I was like, oh, Jenna just started writing her actual family. I did. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. I wrote down Bob and Millie, Mm -hmm. Jim and Debbie. Ed. Oh, yeah, you wrote all. down Ed, Mark, uh, Jim and Debbie. It looked like Anne, which is your mom's name. That's my mom. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just thought it would be fun because maybe they would get to see their names on TV. No, I think that's fantastic. I would have done the same thing. I'm pretty sure my Uncle Bob did write me an email because he noticed or someone noticed and told him. So that was like a fun little thing. I think it's also good that your family has somewhat like common names because like I would have done the same thing, but my list would have been like Birdie. My my, uh-huh. my aunt Thelma, like it'd be like, wait, this this list looks a little southern. Let's see. Next up, Dwight gets a Valentine's Day gift. Oh, he there's gets, a box on his desk. He gets the best gift ever. Yes, he gets a Dwight bobblehead, a bobblehead of himself. And we had a fan question. Actually, a lot of people asked, but Callie Peck and Enza from Chicago both asked, how was the Dwight bobblehead made? So Phil Shea found a bobblehead maker on the internet, and he had Rain pose for pictures in his Dwight outfit, and they took pictures of him from all directions. All angles. <laughs> yes. And sent them in. It took a couple of weeks and they sent back a sample. They were able to make notes. And then they sent the real thing. And they just sent the one guy. I remember the real thing too was kind of fragile. Yeah. And it was heavy. 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 It's not like the ones you can buy now online. It not made out of plastic. Mm-mm. And if you want one of yourself, the guy's still making them. Oh, what's his name? Let's give him a shout out. It's bobblemaker.com. 
BobbleMaker.com yeah. made the original Dwight bobblehead. That's right. And it was originally called It's You Small. <laughs> it's and, uh, You Small. I like that. It's You Small. But um, yeah, BobbleMaker.com. That's where you can get a bobblehead made of yourself. And I went on there and they're really great. You can also get them made of your pets. Oh. Your whole family. He'll also just sculpt your face and put it on a coffee mug, like coming out of a coffee mug. That one I wasn't quite as attracted to. I'm going to just be honest. The coffee mug giving birth to your face? Yeah, hmm. but the bobbleheads are amazing. I would kind of like a bobblehead of our cat Oreo. I thought the same thing about Sunny. Oh, we should get kitty cat bobbleheads. <laughs> I want a kitty cat bobblehead. Okay, where are we? I had another question about the bobblehead from Dagmara K. Did anyone end up keeping Dwight's bobblehead? Well, I just assumed that Rain got to keep it. So I texted him and he said no. Who kept it? NBC. And they auctioned it off when the series ended. Oh, that makes me a little sad. It makes me a little sad too. And it brought up a question for me. I remember NBC did this big auction of all our stuff. They auctioned off some of our clothes. Oh, there was a big auction. I think they auctioned off all the desks. Uh, a bunch of stuff from the desk, a bunch of furniture, but it made me wonder with all this talk and speculation about a possible reboot, how do they get all the stuff back? How do they even recreate the set if they auctioned everything off? Well, I think that probably doesn't bode well for a reboot. <laughs> I think that people are like, nope. <laughs> They'll have to, you know, get bobblemaker.com to make another bobblehead, I guess. I don't know. I actually have a Dwight and Angela bobblehead. And um, I bought one, and Rain signed it for me. So I have a yes. signed Rain bobblehead. After this episode, people started asking for Dwight bobbleheads. And so NBC made a run of bobbleheads. They mm -hmm. found a way to make them. Mass produce them. Yes. Yeah. And they sold out immediately. All right. So next up in the episode, Michael is walking the streets of New York. Oh, he's so happy. Oh, he's he walks by his favorite... Local New York pizza joint, mm -hmm. Sbarro. You can only find it in New York. <laughs> in New York. <laughs> it's such a great joke because you guys know Sbarro is a huge chain. You can get it outside of New York City. However, this made me curious about Sbarro. Uh -oh. So guess what I found out? What'd you find out, Let lady? me tell you. Sbarro began in 1956 when Carmela and Gennaro Sbarro opened an Italian grocery store in Brooklyn that also happened to sell food. Okay. So they had a little deli. They had a little market. Yes. And one of the things that they sold was pizza by the slice. Mama Sabaro, as she was known, had this pizza by the slice. And it became super popular with construction workers, shift workers who needed to grab something in one hand and eat on the go. They became so popular that they ended up opening a second location that was only about pizza. Okay. Pizza only. We are not sponsored by Spark. We are not. Probably because I can't say it. <laughs> Sparbaro? Sabaro. Sabaro. Not Sparbaro. <laughs> not Sparbaro. That's a different Sabaro. 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 And so since then, though, Sabaro has expanded into 630 eateries across 28 countries. I'm applauding you, Sparbaro. Sabaro. So on their website, it says, quote, you're welcome, world. Well, well, not only pizza slices, but pizza slices with sass. I like it. <laughs> That's some Sbarro sass. That's some Sbarro sass. 
Uh, but I thought it was interesting because the joke of our episode is kind of that Michael doesn't get what a local pizza joint is, but it did actually start as a local pizza joint. It did start local. It did start local. Just not in Times Square. So there you go. So next we go back to the office and Jim and Kelly are in the kitchen. I love this scene so much. John Krasinski, your acting in this scene is delicious. It's delicious. Mindy's acting is delicious. So I, good. I, I was like, she's so funny in it. She's full on Mindy. Yeah, it's full Mindy. This is full Mindy. I want you to know when I was listening to the DVD commentary, I almost like spit out like <laughs> the water I was drinking because Greg and Mike both go, oh, I mean, Mindy just took over. Like, there's no more Kelly. It's just Mindy. This was a whole thing. Yeah, what and, they don't know is that it happened last episode. Okay, well, I felt very validated <laughs> that we didn't even know that, like, they totally talk about it in the commentary. That's amazing. Well, basically, she tells Jim that her and Ryan hooked up last night. Yes, and Mindy says in the DVD commentary, she goes, Mike, I really feel like this scene is just like a transcription of a conversation you and I actually had about a guy. <laughs> Which cracked me up. Well, it leads to the very famous Ryan talking head. I hooked up with her on February 13th. I know. It was like so perfect. All right. So then we head back to New York City again. And now we're going to see Michael in Times Square. You know, a lot of people, he tells you, they get to New York and they go to really touristy places like the Empire State Building. But he he likes to go to Times Square. Yeah. He likes to go to the most tourist spot in New York. Which I love. And then at 5 minutes, 26 seconds, Michael is giving us a tour of Rockefeller Center. Yes. Where he says, founded, of course, by Theodore Rockefeller. And he also says that the Rangers sometimes practice there. <laughs> okay, I did a deep dive. The Rangers don't practice there. The Rangers don't practice there. But they do sometimes practice at this rink in Central Park, like once a year, there's a rink there. I know this because I have a huge You're hockey. A hockey. Yeah, You're I'm a, a hockey, hockey mom. mom and Your husband plays hockey. Your son plays hockey. You're a hockey mom. Yes. We've been in New York when the Rangers have practiced on this rink in Central Park, and it's super cool. It's a thing they do for the fans, and uh, but never at Rockefeller Center. Also, there is no one named Theodore Rockefeller. <laughs> I did a deep dive on the Rockefeller family, and I could not find anyone named Theodore. Okay, I know 30 Rock really well because I worked there. Oh, that's right. I was an intern on the Conan O'Brien show. And so we're like a bunch of office people. Mindy, Ellie, John. But not at the same time. Not at the same time. I'm much older than those guys. I was there the very first year of Conan when they thought they were going to get canceled week to week. Oh, they, my gosh. Yeah. What do you do when you're an intern on that? Like, what is that? Well, there was... What does that mean? Well, there was different types of internships. Like, there was a writer's intern. So when I got the internship, they already had the writer's intern. So I became a general intern. So I just basically got everyone their coffee. And I didn't know New York City, so I kept getting lost. I was probably the worst coffee run person ever. Did you get to meet Conan or interact with him as an intern? I didn't. And I mean, he would walk past and he was always nice. He would kind of give a nod or a wave, but he was busy, you know, yeah. and I knew not to bug him. Like I had enough like awareness that I wasn't going to be like, hey, Conan, I'm the new intern. What you doing? The really cool thing about Conan's studio is it was one floor away from where they did Saturday Night Live. So could you... You could do a backdoor... Like watch uh, SNL ever? I actually... One of the uh, people that worked on Conan 
knew that I was pretty strapped for cash, and she got me a weekend job on Saturday Night Live as an extra. So there's a whole season of SNL that I'm an extra, and I'm in a bunch of skits. What? Yes. There's a great scene with Chris Farley, and I'm like sitting in front of him, and everyone was so nice. Yeah, because all that stuff is happening in that same yeah. building. That's and there's, what's so crazy about that area. And and like NBC News is happening in the Today Show. It's all right there. Can I tell you one of the coolest moments? What? Is right outside the stage doors where we recorded. I'm standing in this hallway alone. There's no one in the hallway. The elevator doors open and Robert Redford walked out. Wow. And he was with like an NBC, you know, someone in a suit and they were walking down the hall. And they just walked past me, and I was just like, <laughs> just watched Robert Redford walk right by. Wow. I'm just like a young kid from middle of nowhere, Texas. It was just like a really cool, surreal moment. And there were many of those in my time there. That is pretty awesome. So we got a lot of fan questions about this Tina Fey, Conan O'Brien business. Yeah. The first one is from Sarah Marshall, 44. Did production hire the woman to play the fake Tina Fey or was she just a random person? No, we hired her. She is an actress named Miriam Tolan. She's been in a ton of stuff, including, ironically, an episode of 30 Rock. (laughs) Season two, episode 14. She has a really funny scene with Jason Sudeikis around 12 minutes. She plays a woman at a check-in counter at an airline. It's very funny. I oh. went back and watched the whole oh, episode. I see it. It's I really good. See it. And then we had another fan question from Livy Fitzgerald. Please explain the Conan cameo. Well, you know, Greg and Conan were very good friends. They went to college together. They were roommates. Um, I think some of their very early writing jobs on SNL and Simpsons, they were like, they lived together. They're friends. They're really good friends. And so it definitely makes sense that Greg, you know, would want to reach out to Conan if he was right there. Um, There is quite a bit about it in the DVD commentary. But one of the things that really stuck with me that I loved is that Greg said it took Conan 15 takes to time that out. Like he said, literally it took about 15 tries. And he said, you think Steve gets a big crowd? Imagine Conan standing in front of the building where they tape Conan. Yeah. He said the crowds were crazy. So they were trying to get that. And he's really tall. He's incredibly tall. Red hair. He's very, very distinguishable. Hard to blend. Hard to blend. Mike sure said that he wrote the scene with fake Tina Fey as a shout out to her, a little nod to their time together on Saturday Night Live, because he said tourists were constantly mistaking other women with brown hair and glasses for Tina Fey. <laughs> it was like almost like a joke. They yeah. would they would watch other women like get tapped on the shoulder and it was never Tina Fey. And he said that many times him and Tina would like take a coffee break in between writing and walk outside and no one would stop her. <laughs> no one would stop the no, real Tina no Fey. No one would stop the real <laughs> Tina Fey, but they would mistake all these other women. And so he said that scene was kind of his little nod to Tina. Oh my gosh. I love that. I did too. I love that. All right. So next we go back into the office and more flowers arrive for Phyllis. Oh gosh. From Bob Vance. I mean, Bob not, Vance. Not for Pam. Oh, for Phyllis. Pam is getting annoyed. And you know who else is taking it hard? Meredith. Meredith. <laughs> like She's taking it real she's hard. She's looking real sour. Yeah. Well, then we have this awesome covert scene between Dwight and Angela at the copier. Yes. He says, thank you for the gift. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then she says, I haven't gotten one yet. I haven't gotten anything. No. Now, this has nothing to do with the scene, 
but I have to bring it up right now because this is the first moment you really get a full shot of me in, mm-hmm. right on camera. Yeah. Do I look tan, Jenna? Do I look a little tan? Yes, now that you mention oh, it. Oh, I am very tan because in my journal, you guys, I wrote, we shot this during the Golden Globes when I got that mystic spray tan. Oh, that's right. When we went to the Golden Globes, when Steve won, yeah, you got a spray tan that was real dark. It was orange. Guys, I watched this episode and the next one. I am like orange for two weeks. Oh my gosh. I mean, I am so tan. It's ridiculous. And they tried to like make my face look lighter. Like I tried to tone it down. I wrote about it in my journal that they tried to tone down my tan. But what happened was my, it just, I just look weird. I thought you looked good in this episode. Well, I'm, I have a mystic tan. Oh, a spray tan. But anyway, when I watched that scene, all I could see was my <laughs> very, very tan forehead. And next to Rain, I look crazy tan because he's so white. Um, but yes, I have given Dwight. He says the best gift ever. Yeah. And then he promises that he has one for me, which I'm very happy about. And yeah. then he clearly realizes, oh, no, now I have to deliver. Exactly. Exactly. He says, you'll get something by the end of today. He needs to give himself some time Yeah, to get something. All right, so then we have the scene where Jim is on the phone. He's making plans with his poker buddies. John Krasinski does such great fake phone. You guys, fake fake phone. phone. Fake phone is not easy. No, there's no one on the other end of that call. I fully believed he's talking to someone, and his laugh seems so organic. Yeah. I'm like, John, applause for fake phone skills. Great fake phone. Really, really good. And this is also sort of the time in their relationship, if you will, where Jim, I mean, you have a wedding date set. Yeah. It's like all that Pam is talking about really is like planning the wedding. And Jim really starts to pull away. And then you see Pam feeling that absence. Well, and remember in the last episode, they got in a full fight. Yeah. About Pam's decision to not pursue her graphic design internship. Yeah. And so I think Jim kind of feels like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. I don't know where I fit in anymore. Yeah, and she's getting married. Yeah. Yeah. Then a giant teddy bear (laughs) arrives. (laughs) And it's being delivered by two guys in Vance Refrigeration Outfits. They were played by our writing team of Gene Stupnitsky and Lee Eisenberg. But you only see Gene. Lee got cut out. Lee got cut out. It's in the deleted scene. Yeah, they get in a fist fight. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> but Gene is the person who says, Phyllis Lappin. So if you're wondering which one is Gene and which one is Lee, mm-hmm. Gene is in this episode. And they come back later. They're going to recur and you'll actually get to see Lee. There's a very funny little um, sort of exchange between Gene and Brian as Kevin where Kevin's like, that thing's as big as me. And Gene's like, no, it's not. No, it's not. Kevin's like, zip it. So now Michael has finally made it to his meeting. He's done wandering the streets of New York. And he's going to meet with the other branch managers in a conference room. And I just want to mention, we said this earlier, this part of it was not shot in New York. This was shot on some stages. Right there where we film every day in California. Yes. Look out the window. They did such a good job. The backdrop, it really looks like they're up high in a building in New York. No, they're, the, our, our, the trickery is so good. Our set design team was phenomenal. Yeah, but really, they are on ground level 
in a warehouse in, in Van Nuys, California. Yeah. yeah, kind of amazing. But let's meet the other managers. Yes, I have a card. All right, give me your card, lady. Here's my card. So the other managers are um, Dan Gore, who manages Buffalo, yes. played by Dan Cole. Josh Porter, he manages Stanford Branch. Craig, Michael calls him Craigers, played by Craig Anton, manages Albany. Yes. So here's a little tidbit about the Dan Gore character. Okay. In the DVD commentary, Mike Schur says the quiet guy in the conference room he named after his good friend, Dan Gore. The writer, Dan Gore. Oh, yeah. Dan Gore, who, I mean, he created Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He's a phenomenal (laughs) writer. Yeah. And he was a friend of Mike's. And Mindy sort of chimed in that Mike loved to do that. He loved to put his friends' names in things. Um, He was a Conan writer. He wrote on Parks and Rec. And now, of course, he's the showrunner of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So Dan Gore got a nice little shout out in this episode. Yes. So we are meeting all the branch heads, and Craigers is an idiot. He's, right? He's gotten kicked out of all the strip clubs in Albany. Very proud of we that. We find out. And then he starts insulting Jan. Yeah. Yeah. He says... He calls her the B word. He does. And Michael comes to her defense. He says, oh, come on now. Come on now. And he stands up for her first by saying, that's my girlfriend, uh. boy. And then he backpedals and says, I mean, we hooked up. And then Josh Porter's like, you hooked up with Jan? And dun, now dun, dun. he's in it. He spilled the beans. He's, Dang it, Michael. Michael. He's only been there like five minutes. Yeah, he's been in a room with these people for five minutes, and he's already told everyone that he's hooked up with Jan. With their boss. Yeah. Oh, Michael. And then it's like crickets in the room. All right, well, maybe we should take a break. Yeah, with that <laughs> with that news. On that news, Michael has just spilled the beans. And we'll be right back. We'll be Because back. one of my favorite scenes is happening back at... The office. Yeah. We need to talk about it. It's good stuff. It's good. Well, folks, you know I have a lot of family in Texas, and I just want you to know, if you travel to Texas, there are vast landscapes, cultures, regions, destinations, activities that allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. You can have fun in the sun. Texas has 350 miles of coastline. That's right. Or if you like more of a rugged vacation, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, state parks, and the food. Can we talk about the food? Tex-Mex. And barbecue. There's live music, art museums, cowboy experiences. Come on. Right now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-the-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. So you go in there and you click your interests and it'll say, here's where you want to go in Texas. Mm Mm-hmm. Visit TravelTexas.com slash get your own to get the only trip to Texas that matters, yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed to connect with candidates faster by scheduling, screening, and messaging. And Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 23 hires were made on Indeed every minute, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash OfficeLadies. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash OfficeLadies right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash OfficeLadies. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, so we're back. You guys, I have to talk about this scene between Dwight and Pam in the break room. Yeah. I loved it so much, Jenna. I rewound and watched it a few times. Oh, gosh. How did you get through it without laughing? How? Your reaction when he, when he says, like a ham? Yeah. And you're like, no, not a, not exactly like a ham. It, Jenna is so funny. I don't even know how you kept a straight face, though. My intention in that was like I was talking to like a five or a six-year-old, and I couldn't let them see my real feelings about the things they were saying. Yeah, exactly. We had a fan question from Susie Young 22. She wanted to know if Like a Ham was scripted or improvised. It was improvised. Did he improvise a bunch? Yeah. So on the day, we didn't really have an ending to this scene. Okay. We had him coming in and asking for advice, and they wanted a button. And this would often happen in scenes, and the writers would then come over and give us a list of options. Like suggestions. Yeah. Yeah. So Like a Ham was improvised, but then there were all these other options that were written on a piece of paper. And so we shot all of these things that he said, like, like a this, like a that, like this, (laughs) like that. It was so hard not to laugh. I did laugh at Like a Ham because it wasn't on the piece of paper, so I was not expecting it. You didn't see it. it coming. No, no. So that my response is definitely like take four or five because I remember everyone just lost it when he said it. And then they were like, okay, wait, that's good. That's good. That's the one we want. And so then they were like, pull it together and do say, it again. Do it again. Okay, do I have a again. question for you. When he says, shut up, I know exactly what to do. Was that improvised? <laughs> that I don't remember. I don't remember because I do think that that final look to camera was, that was some direction I was given, You're- which is like, I know the camera's out there. Yeah. And your look to camera is like, can this day get any worse? It's like, so weird. I'm not getting any gifts. No. Jim has barely acknowledged me and Dwight just asked for my help and then told me to shut up. I also love when Rain, how Rain responds to me saying like, she's a little like tightly wound. Oh gosh. He's like, yeah. He like chose Ooh. to be like turned on by it. It's so like, gross. Kind of creepy. Did you notice how many times we were in scenes in the break room in the kitchen? Like, in this episode, we're in quite a few. I think we have, like, three break room scenes, two kitchen scenes. Yeah. So it's it's interesting, and and I don't know if that's because they were constantly trying to keep Jim and Pam apart, or there were these secret conversations about relationships. But I feel like this was a very interesting episode for that reason, because a lot of the scenes don't actually happen in the bullpen. Yeah, they're not at our desks this time. Mm -mm. Yeah. So Jim is in the break room with Kelly, and he's kind of— trying to give her advice. He's really just trying to eat his bag of chips. Yeah. He tells her to take it slow, and then Ryan walks in. And she asks him out in front of Jim. And John's, the way John played this moment, like, he's like, not in front of me. Oh, He's like, like oh, no, not while I'm here. <laughs> no, I'm here, please. Oh, so good. But Ryan shoots her down. He says, I can't. I have plans with friends. And, I can't. Oh, it's so cringy. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, no, no it's not a problem. Not a problem. Yeah. Oh, and Jim is just sitting there, like, just sitting get there. me out of here. Back in the bullpen, more gifts for Phyllis, and Meredith is drinking heavily. She's had it. She's yeah. full on mixing up a cocktail. She and that sure is. Super gulp. 
I have been to family reunions where I have one or two aunts that walk around with a giant 7-Eleven Super Gulp, and I'm always like, what's in there? What's in there? Why are you nursing on that 7-Eleven Super Gulp all day? Well, I used to do an opposite thing in college. So I was not a big drinker, but I wanted to go to the parties and not be judged. So you'd bring a Super Gulp full of like soda? I would bring a red Solo cup. Your own solo cup I to had the my party? own red solo <laughs> cup. And then I would put something non-alcoholic in it. And you'd so be like, that, I'm good. I've got my drink. Yeah, I I'm got good. it. I'm fine. I'm good. I don't need to get drunk on whatever you're handing out, weird frat boy party. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Have solo cup. We'll travel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I did like a, a opposite a reverse. Thing. Yeah. A reverse Meredith. Should we go back to New York and meet our CFO, David well, Wallace? Yeah, because it's about to uh, really go south. And also, I mean, oh, God. Yeah. How funny is Faces of Scranton? I don't want to jump ahead, but that is yeah. some funny shiitake. Yeah. It's time for the presentations. Mm-hmm. Josh Porter gives a nice, normal presentation. Yes. Yes. And, you know, in the DVD commentary, Mike sure said it was really important to him that you saw a range of competence in the branch managers. <laughs> a so, range of competence. Yes. I like I, I'm, that para- I'm paraphrasing. I don't I know like that he that. said that exactly. But like Josh Porter is on it. He's yeah. got his presentation. Mm-hmm. He's got it down. And then you have, you know, Michael's kind of somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Because he does actually he have a binder. Out. Yeah. yeah. And then you have Craig who didn't prepare at all. Right. And Dan, we don't get to see. Oh, well, actually, he's sort of finishing his. And he goes, and that's how we're doing it or whatever. Yeah. I think Mike was saying it was important that they wanted to show that that although Michael Scott does this crazy video, that he also did come prepared. He's not he's not like Craig. He's not completely incompetent. Yes. Well, let's talk about that video. When Michael starts his presentation, he presents Faces of Scranton, which is a video of the people at the Scranton branch set to with or without you. Yeah. By you too. Yeah. How could we afford that? And it's we must have blown our whole budget on that song. <laughs> and it's like not in slow motion, but it's not in regular motion. It's it's a little slowed it's down. It's a little slowed down. So everyone is like blinking real slow. Oh, and it's, waving to camera yeah, real slow. Walking slowly, sitting slowly. Yeah. We had a fan question from Rebecca Heaven. She said, did Steve actually film the footage from the business meeting presentation video? Did you get any intel when you were talking with Randall about how they made Faces of Scranton? Randall said that he filmed that specifically for this episode. Okay. It wasn't pieced together from other footage. That was my question. Yeah, that he actually filmed that. I noticed I'm wearing the wardrobe from Boys and Girls. Did you notice? I did not. Yeah, so I think we filmed it the week prior. Because I'm in my boys and girls wardrobe, which oh. we filmed the, the the episode before this and one. And you're not spray tanned. I'm not tan. And in I'm Faces in, of Scranton. I'm, I'm not tan, and I'm in my pink sweater with my low ponytail. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that, I think we filmed it uh, right before. But um, I'm, I'm happy to hear that because my memory was that those shots were scripted in the script. That there was a description of Faces of Scranton. Particularly, I remember getting those shots of him like over my shoulder with the, like the dialogue was scripted and then there were suggestions of what the shots should be. Definitely. The whole scene where I have the brownies and I'm looking kind of sour at him. Yeah. That was all like 
planned, planned out. Phil Shea had the brownies, the whole thing. Yeah. So, so yeah, Randall shot that specifically for this, and there were beats that he had to hit. Now, the great thing is, you guys, if you love it, go to the DVD extras because there's extended footage. What you see is actually condensed. There's actually more footage of oh, Faces of Scranton. Maybe that's the version that Michael submits to the film festivals. Well, but he he tells, so he's like, but you know what, maybe, maybe it's not appropriate. Maybe not. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. Maybe he won't. He's not sure. The video doesn't go over well. They're stunned. <laughs> oh my God. Melora's reaction as Jan is just <laughs> amazing. Melora, you crushed it. I loved it. So David just asked for his sales numbers. He's like, can I just get your sales numbers? And I was really worried for a second. I was like, oh, no. But no, Michael has those too. He hands out some little binders. He was prepared. He, he was. had binders all ready to go. <laughs> That's Michael in a nutshell. He's trying to be outside the box. He's trying to tug on your heartstrings and make... This is his whole thing. He wants the work to be more than just a binder of numbers. He well, wants he, it to be about people. That The thing is, is, they are his family. Yes. You know, things move at a slower pace. The song is with or without you. It does. It has nothing to do in the workplace. No. Like, what is... It's like a, like a love song. Yeah. And, and just when he was like, or spend a day in Phyllis's pants, what does he say? Spend a day in Phyllis's pants is not what he says. Spend. <laughs> no, well, he says, like, see what it's like to walk a day in Oscar's shoes. Or, or sit in Phyllis's pants. He I says, don't know what he says I, about Phyllis's pants. It's right pants. as she's sitting down Right as she's sitting motion. down. I just love it. I hope this gave you a little taste of what life is like here at Dunder Mifflin Scranton. What it's like to walk a mile in Oscar's shoes or try on Phyllis's pants. There it is. Or try on Phyllis's okay, pants. Okay, okay. So he says, try on Phyllis's pants. Yeah. In slow-mo as she's sitting down. Yes. Faces of Scranton. And then the very end, great Scott. Mike oh. said was, Mike sure said that was an afterthought. That he just sort of added that last minute and they made it. But it's, it's so, so funny. It's so funny. So funny. All right. So now we're going to go back to the office again. After that presentation, and Oscar is going to get some flowers. He Not flowers. He got a plant. Well, yeah. Which I think is perfect. Perfect. And he reads the card. He says they're from his mom. And I loved his choice of putting the card in his pocket. Yeah. He puts it in his pocket. Puts it in his pocket. Meredith has passed out. There's nothing for Pam. There's nothing for Angela. Yeah. And Meredith, Meredith is going to sleep this one out. Here's a fan catch. At 14 minutes, 45 seconds, Adam West, 84, says, there's a huge week calendar on the wall beside accounting mm -hmm. that you can see from both accounting and from reception. It's always there. It's always there. It's a dry erase board calendar. Yes. He said it has always bothered him that they abbreviate Thursday as T-H-U-S, thus, <laughs> instead of T-H-U-R. And I he have, said, quote, it breaks my mind. Well, I need to go back and see that. 14 minutes, 45 seconds. I mean, I know, I do remember the handwriting was a bit sloppy. There is a chance that R looks like an S if it's in cursive. I'm going to go and look at it. I'm going to go check it. So you're thinking it's T-H-U-R? You know what? I'll tell you what. It's not written in cursive. The days of the week are taped out. 
Oh, in block letters. Well, T H U S. Thus, that would make me crazy too. Yeah, it's but really bothering. That's a crazy good catch. I'm gonna go check it out. And I think it's just always that way. I can't wait. I can't wait to go check it out. (laughs) All right. So next, Jim's in the kitchen with Kelly, and he's he is giving her like he is being a good friend. Actually, he's being gentle, and he's like, you know what? He's just not into you. It would be great if he was, but he's not. So well, you just have to suck it up. Both Jim and Pam are saying to others, they're giving advice to others in this episode. Pam gives advice to Dwight, and she says something where it's just Pam projecting. Where yeah. She says, you know, it's just, you want her to think that you thought of her. Yeah. It's right? not what you give her. It's that she she knows you thought of her. Right. And that's desperately what Pam wants. She just wants to feel like Roy thinks of her. That he ever, ever thinks yeah. of her. And then Jim is saying to Kelly, look, it'd be nice if he was into you, but he's not. You just got to let it go. And of course, Jim is talking about Pam. Yes. Yes. And Kelly doesn't hear Kelly any does of it. Kelly does not get it. She's like, you know, he invites her to poker and she's like, can I invite Ryan? And yeah. the face, the face John does when he, she says that is like, come on, come on, come on. Really? All right. So again, back to New York. We go back and forth between New York and Scranton a lot in this episode. This yes. is when we find out that Craigers did not prepare anything for the meeting because he thought it was more of a meet and greet. Well, he's also just a slacker. He's For a sure. slacker. And he ignores direct orders. I think his performance is so delicious. And he kind of gets in trouble. Jan says, this does not bode well for your branch. And then he throws her under the bus. Yeah. He's like, what? I mean, I guess I'd get better treatment, you know, if we hooked up. Like, that's what he's inferring, right? Because oh, you hooked no. up with Michael. He flat out says, Michael made a stupid movie and didn't get in any trouble. Maybe I should have slept with you, too. Oh, yeah. Boom. Screech. This heads us into the Jan-Michael scene. And Jan is just so defeated. She's like, Michael, it's, it's over. like, I My can't. My over. Yeah, I can't believe it. Like, you don't understand. For the new CFO to find out that I would have slept with an employee, she's like, I, I can't believe you. Why? Why are you you? And Michael just says he's going to fix it. He's going to talk to David Wallace. And you just see Michael loves Jan so much. He feels so bad. Like, I think he finally gets it. He's yeah. like, wow. He he feels bad. He feels bad, but he still makes a really lame joke. Yes. So he's like, and don't call me Shirley. Like, yeah. He can't resist kind of just being an idiot. He can't resist it. Yeah. He's trying to make her feel better and then has to, like, put a joke in and look to camera. Oh, Michael. So I'm going to jump ahead to the scene where Michael does go into David Wallace's office. And then we'll go back to Dunder Mifflin and talk about what's happening there. But Michael does go into David Wallace's office. And he says, it's not true. I didn't sleep with Jan. I just made a joke. This is all my fault. Yeah, it's it's a joke. It's all my fault. It was a bad joke. I'm so sorry. And Jan kind of perks up like, Oh, yes, it's a joke. It's totally a joke. It didn't happen. And David Wallace kind of accepts this. He's like, okay. Michael promises it will never happen again. And all is forgiven. Like, they don't get in trouble. It's okay. But I want you to know that I noticed something on David Wallace's desk in this scene. What? At 19 minutes, 24 seconds, David Wallace has a world's best boss mug. 
Oh, my God. But it's black with white cursive writing. Nice catch, lady. Yeah. yeah. If you freeze frame it. Oh, that's a really good catch. Yeah. Oh, wow. And I have to imagine that that was a choice and that they, that's a very subtle Phil Shea thing. Yes. Yeah. That That's the kind of sense of humor that Phil Shea has, that I, he gave him a world's best boss mug I on his desk. I love that. Isn't that great? All right. So back at the office, Angela finally gets her gift from Dwight. Yes. It is a key. Angela, your performance in this scene is so good. Oh. Your real is that you, you get this key and you're like, what is that? It's just a key. Like, I feel like I could hear your whole interior monologue. What is this? Is it a key? I don't even know what this. <gasps> oh. 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 Yes. <laughs> like, you're so delighted. It's so great. I had a fan question. Jenny Zislin asks, was the key Dwight gave Angela for her to move in or just for her to have when she wants to stay there? What do you think? I think it's an all-access pass. Uh huh. I don't think I move in. We're not ready for that. Yeah. But it means I get to come and go now as I please. Yes. That's, I had the same yes. interpretation. Yes. That's what I think, too. And she's too. thrilled by it. And in the bloopers, one of my favorite bloopers from this episode, they're on YouTube. There was the thought at first that Dwight would give her this gift with a card. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. So Dwight was going to write a card, and he wanted Jim's help in writing a card for a girl. For a girl. He doesn't say who it's for. And so he starts, Jim doesn't want to help him, really. He gives him a hard time and Dwight's like annoyed. So Dwight is sitting here trying to write this card and Jim is hearing all of it. And they're in the bloopers and it is hilarious. But if you want to see John Krasinski break really hard, (laughs) watch the bloopers on YouTube when Dwight writes, you are evil like a hobbit. (laughs) This was the Valentine's card you might give Angela. And John loses it. So that's that's a fun blooper moment. Well, next up, Roy comes in and Pam is done. Yeah. She's very annoyed. Yeah. And Roy is like, what's wrong? Are you upset? And she's like, yeah, I mean, I know I said don't spend a lot, but I thought I'd get something. But not only that, the person that fills in the blanks when Roy consistently fails is Jim. Yep. And he didn't fill in the blank. So she's feeling it more than ever. It's magnified. She didn't get a cute little card from Jim this year. He gave her nothing this year. Nothing. Yeah. But Roy tells her, (laughs) it's not over yet, baby. Yeah. Let's get you home and you're going to have the best sex of your life. Your reaction to that was so perfect. Oh my gosh. We had a fan question from... Jonia Woods, what is the worst Valentine's gift you've ever received? (sighs) Have you ever gotten anything worse than what Pam gets from Roy? The best (laughs) sex of her life. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I mean, I was dating a guy one time, and um, he got me salsa. (laughs) Really? Was it special? Um, Was it from somewhere that you enjoyed salsa together? No, someone, this wasn't a bad gift. Okay. It It was was just just, odd. It was just odd. It was homemade salsa. Did he make it? No, a coworker made it. I think the coworker gave it to him. Okay. And then he was like, oh, I got you salsa, maybe. Do you like salsa? I like it okay. (laughs) It's, I mean, it's like kind of getting like a condiment. 
Like, here's some mayonnaise. <laughs> Happy Valentine's. <laughs> My friend makes their own mayonnaise. Um, it, and it, listen, I tried it. It was good salsa, but it was kind of like, okay, well, I think I see the writing on the wall here. How much longer did you guys date? Not not much longer. Really? Yeah, not much. Just Shocker. A few, a few more months later. Shocker. But, you know, <laughs> I am not, like, I don't need a big gift. It's kind of like that thing, if you thought of me, great. Yeah. Um. But it was just really random. And I really, really think his coworker made everyone salsa for Valentine's. And he basically gave me. He regifted. He regifted salsa. What about you? I can't think of a worst gift. I can't think of a best gift either. I think most of my Valentine's days have come and gone without much fanfare. I mean. I love flowers. I do. Flowers are nice. Even fashioned that way. I love flowers. And you know what? My husband was like, Ange, I am not a mind reader. I am not good at this. If you want something for Valentine's, you have to tell me because I am going to get it wrong. So I just said to him when, when we first got married, I was like, babe, just always get me flowers and I'll be happy. You can put to my wife from to wife. One year it was to semicolon wife from semicolon husband. But it was roses. I'm happy you got me flowers. I just like to get a nice card with mm-hmm. a little note on it. Mm-hmm. I think that's why, you know, I married a writer. Write me something good and a card, and I'm happy. And that's what he does, to generally. Wife. To wife. <laughs> From yeah. husband. I guess very different. That's why you need the flowers. I want the flowers, guys. <laughs> All right. So now, you know, Pam just so desperately wants Jim to acknowledge her in any way today. Yeah. And he doesn't. No. He just walks past, kind of taps her desk, says Happy Valentine's Day, and your little bye is the saddest thing at the end. So sad. You're like, bye. I'm going to go home, get the best sex of my life. I can't so, wait. Happy Valentine's Day to me. Per Roy. <laughs> yeah, what is what level of investment is that from Roy? I don't even want to think about it. And then Phyllis and the enormous bear. You know the writers just wanted to see her carry that bear. Oh, my gosh. We got a lot of questions about where did that bear come from, and I'm sorry I couldn't get you an answer, but where did that bear come from? I don't know. That's, that's a, insane. That's a Phil Shea classic. Now, in the deleted scenes, there is a there. there's one that is hilarious. Uh-huh. Michael actually gives all the ladies a valentine. Yes. So in Pam's talking head at the beginning, she talks about how people at the office hand things out. And there's actually a bunch of deleted scenes of people handing things out, including Michael, who hands out a bunch of plastic roses. Plastic roses that have thorns. And then his card says, me so thorny. Yeah. Because that's what we all want. And then one other deleted scene before we wrap up this episode, you guys, is that when Michael is walking on the streets of New York, He walks past Devin. Oh, yes. And Devin recognizes him and is ticked off and kind of chases after him. Yes, because Devin was now in real life living in New York and doing theater. So they called him up when they were going to be in New York to have this additional cameo. cameo, And unfortunately, it did not make the cut. It's a very funny deleted scene, though. So you guys have to go check it out. And Michael has a talking head about it that's also deleted. Well, the very end of this episode... Jan catches Michael as he's getting in the elevator at corporate, and she just says, thank you, Michael. Thank you so much. And he's like, yeah, okay. And Once once again, he's oddly impressed her. Yes. And he's very calm, and he's clearly like, I get it. 
It's over. It's over, and I'm never, ever going to go there again. And then she kisses him. Jan! 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 You are torturing this man. Jan, you're self-destructive. Oh, my gosh. And you even see her look around. She looks over her shoulder to see if they're alone. And then she kisses him. But she forgot to look over the other shoulder. But Michael knew immediately. He looked right at camera and yeah. was like, uh, uh. And then she looks at camera and she's like, oh, oh, forget about it. Forget about it. Oh, boy. And then that is how the episode ends. That is how the episode ends. It's such a good one. And I have, I have kind of a fun journal entry that I wrote. Okay. During this week, I wrote, John and I have a new goofy walk we do when we pretend to be kid sister and big brother. Well, you have to explain kid sister, big brother, because we've never even talked about that. Guys, John and I, you guys, we would have some downtime between scenes and we would just kind of hang out and sometimes we'd get a little punchy as the day would go. And um, John's, when I stand next to John, he's so much taller than me. We both sort of remembered this childhood doll that you could buy that was called Kid Sister that stands about (laughs) three feet tall, and you could hold her hand and kind of make her walk. And John and I made up this whole thing where he would hold my hand, and I'd pretend to be the Kid Sister doll, and he'd go, Kid Sister, and I'd go, Big Brother. Yes. And we made up this whole goofy walk and everything so this is this is what was happening behind the scenes yes while we were, were all we loved when you guys did kid sister big brother that was very entertaining for our downtime you uh, guys were a good team well so you you came up with a new walk i guess a new goofy walk we had a new bit to do <laughs> <laughs> all right you guys that was the valentine's episode yes and next up is dwight's speech another really good one really good and we'd like to thank andy buckley so much for stopping by yes and And thank you randall einhorn for all of your insider tidbits yes and for more stuff guys don't forget to check out the dvd commentary and the bloopers there's good stuff there and thank you so much for sending in your questions yeah happy valentine's day everyone happy valentine's day enjoy your salsa (laughs) (laughs) angela wait can you please I have a new merchandise idea for Office Ladies. Okay. It's Valentine's Day Salsa. <laughs> oh, no. That guy's going to crawl out of the woodworks and be like, I think I get a cut of that salsa. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Office Ladies. Office Ladies is produced by Earwolf, Jenna Fisher, and Angela Kinsey. Our producer is Cody Fisher. Our sound engineer is Sam Kiefer. And our theme song is Rubber Tree by Creed Bratton. For ad-free versions of the show and our bonus episodes, Candy Bag, go to stitcherpremium.com. For a free one-month trial of Stitcher Premium, use code OFFICE. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait.
Auto Trader.